This is Peek Inside the Panic Room, where we explore our passions with zero limits, mixed with the occasional bit of chaos. You don't have to be famous to have a story to tell. So strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Peek Inside the Panic Room. My name's Matt and I'm your host for today. And we've got a great guest this afternoon in the panic room here at Burley, Neil Frick from NetLogic's IT Support. How are you today, mate? I'm amazing, as mate, always. That's unusual, because usually you would say to me, you're freaking awesome. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> yeah, and I do laugh every time you say it. <laughs> mate, uh, I've known you for a few years now. We've been in a networking group and... I'm interested every week you get up to talk about what you do and, and you've got a little catchphrase which I'm sure we'll hear at some stage throughout the uh, throughout the chat but I'm not going to steal that from you. I had it in my notes that I was going to lead with that but I thought no, I'm going to leave that leave that to Neil because I know that's he worked hours on that one. Uh, it does get a chuckle every week especially for visitors that are in the room so we'll leave that one for Neil. I thought today we could start by just talking a bit about who Neil Frick is and you know your, your beginnings and, and what led you to starting your business and, and in the IT uh, industry? Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, I spent a dozen years playing around in the Army, uh, did a lot of electronics training in the Army and uh, ended up fixing all sorts of horrible computers and working in top-secret areas and a lot around security, especially in the military. From there, I got out of the Army and joined this marvellous company called uh, Computer Shop. And uh, within 18 months, they went broke. <laughs> that had nothing to do with you, I'm sure. No, <laughs> but the interesting thing about that was they went broke and I thought, well, the only way I'm ever going to have this situation not come again is to work for myself, so I started a business. I was very lucky in those days you could divert the old number from a broke business to you, so I diverted their old number to me and I instantly had a 1,000 clients. Wow, that's sneaky. So down the road, I opened up an office um, and within a couple of months, an opportunity came up to buy a company that was turning over about half a million. We picked it up for 80 grand. It was like bargain. Yeah. Uh, over the next five years, we turned it into a $5 million a year company. And um, from there, I got rid of that and started a company called Net Repair in 2001. We moved on from NetRepair to renaming it in 2014 to NetLogic's Technology Specialist because we felt we did more than just repair. We actually designed networks, we put them in, we maintained them and we did all the marvellous stuff that you need to do to make a network work. Yeah, so there's more to, especially nowadays, there's way more to IT support than just fixing the PC, isn't there? Uh, it just... <laughs> It, it's it, the worst. I guess the worst thing and the best thing about it is that you have to keep learning every day. You have to keep up uh, because in two weeks you're out of date. It's crazy. Like I, I tried to have this discussion with my son. He wants to buy a gaming PC, and he's got a PlayStation Five. And I said, "Mate, the PlayStation Five is so simple. You just plug and play. Like, why do you need a gaming PC? You're opening up a whole raft of trouble." He doesn't quite get it. But you're right, it, everything, is, everything is outdated almost instantly, isn't it? Well, I guess that's good for the manufacturers, of course. <laughs> There's always a winner. <laughs> and I think as things like RAM and hard drive space and uh, SSD drives have come down in price, 
programmers have gotten lazy. And the worst thing about it is they leave holes in programs. Uh, those vulnerabilities, when they're uh, discovered, are very quickly exploited by uh, the baddies out there that want to hack into your PC. And what happens is the vulnerabilities are talked about in the press and most people haven't patched their machine. So the baddies have gone, oh, beauty, and they just attack everything that's out there with that vulnerability or potentially that vulnerability, and that's how they get in in the first instance. It's just a, it's a massive shotgun approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, you can go out there and buy a, a fully supported hacking kit for $2,000 that's f- supported 24-7 by the baddies. <laughs> so, I mean, you can actually go and buy a kit that does it for you. You don't even have to write the code. It's scary stuff. It's, a scary, it's scary, isn't it? I think yeah, even, even the people in the industry must be you know, scared about what's happening. It's just it's evolving so quickly. Yeah, um, there's so many tools that we've got and so many tools that are coming online that help us to prevent or reduce the possibility of hacking. Uh, inevitably, uh, a, a user that has not changed their password for six months and uses it on every single um, site that they go to is probably going to get hacked. Mm. Um, there are ways of checking whether your details are out there, but of course uh, those are the things that are the human factor that we can't really negate uh, set by training. Yeah, it's. I know it's scary. I am probably like the majority of people that have half a dozen passwords that you use amongst everything and and you tend to forget them and it's a nightmare and it would be so easy just to have one password that did everything, but that's mistake one, right? If you can have multi-factor in the back of that where you've got to actually type a code in from your phone, that becomes less of an issue. But a lot of programs and a lot of websites don't allow for multi-factor and therefore you have to change your password. I use a product called Password Boss. There's a lot of them out there. Essentially, that allows you to have this horrible complex password and it fills in the password for you when you go into the website. Of course, it has multi-factor to get into it so that you can use it. So it's it's pretty clever stuff. And I'm like you. I hate long passwords, hate trying to remember them all. So I let it create this horrible gobbledygook of a password and it um, does it all for me. And that's something you can buy? You just have on your own PC? Yep. Yeah. Okay, wow. What does what does something like that cost? Oh, I think I paid eighty bucks a year. Wow. Okay. Small so, price to pay, really. Yeah, considering the results of not having it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? So, obviously, cybersecurity. So, NetLogic's do a lot of stuff. So they, you know, we're gonna we'll probably focus a little bit today on cybersecurity as it's a bit of a a buzz subject. And Neil's very very good at it. But NetLogic's have remote support, monitoring and maintenance, Office three six five migration. They do cloud computing, refurbished hardware. It's just never ends. So you're you're essentially a one stop shop. You have your own shop. Yeah, we have our own online store. Yep. We're not allowed to officially run a retail store where we are, and most people buy online nowadays anyway. So it doesn't matter. The great thing about the shop that we've got is it links to probably ninety percent of the wholesalers in Australia, and it knows what's in stock now. Yeah, that's important. So when you go to buy something off a website and you buy it from an international supplier, you really don't know whether they've got it and when you're going to get it. I know that if it's in stock, you'll get it in a couple of days. Yeah. 
that's a bonus for me. Um, and it links straight through to our quoting system too, which is quite neat. Perfect. Well, I, I know that when we started to investigate uh, buying the the roadcaster that we're using for this podcast today, that everyone said it was in stock. Absolutely every place that we went to said it was in stock. And it was only until we started to ring these places because we wanted to go pick one up. Oh, no, we don't have one. We've got to order that. Oh, no, we don't have one. We've got to order that. And it was every place. And we ended up snagging one joint that I think it might have been in Southport. And it was like, 20th on Google, but it was had it had one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and we know a little bit about the rankings in Google. <laughs> <laughs> so normally normally you wouldn't get to 20th on Google, but we got there and luckily they had it. But So I know how important it is to have up-to-date stock listings because when people shop online, they just want to know whether it's there. Yeah. Our um, database in the back of that is updated every 24 hours, so we're pretty much on top of it. Yeah. I generally, if I'm doing a quote, I won't quote anything with less than 20 in stock because they can go that quick. Yeah, well, so. well, everyone needs a computer, don't they? Yeah, yeah and the bits yeah. that go with it. Well, this <laughs> is it. But, uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity uh, because I'd like to learn a little bit more about it as well because I've got a 16-year-old son that wants a gaming computer that's going to bring our house down. If we talk from a business perspective, though, in a list of priorities... Where should cybersecurity sit? Well, I guess that comes down to in the list of priorities where the survival of your business fits because 60% of people who get hacked are out of business within six months. And that's not just because they can't get their stuff. They've lost their reputation. They've had to tell everybody they've lost their reputation. The um, government reporting requirements are massive, especially if you're a medical or something like that. They, they have... So many rules and regulations about reporting that if you get hacked, you look real bad and your customers are not going to trust you. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary thought. It's that information, isn't it? And we know that it's so so scary that we covet this information so much as a, in business that the minute your uh, vulnerabilities are exposed and, and that information is gone, it's over for you. Yeah, and I think the worst thing is the customer finding their information out there um, on the dark web uh, or not even knowing it's out there and plodding along as though nothing's happened and all of a sudden they've got another credit card they didn't know about. Uh, somebody's uh, got a loan in their name that they didn't know about. Did you know the New South Wales uh, COVID database got hacked? There was over 500,000 names leaked to the internet. It's Yeah, it blows me away. It's a nice little segue there because I wasn't going to talk about this, but the dark web, the dark web is real, right? It's real. That's where the internet came from. Yeah, it was created by governments to talk between themselves without telling anybody, and it's all of a sudden evolved into the place where you use Bitcoin to buy legal goods and anything you want you can buy on the internet uh, through various. They're not through normal browsers. There's browsers called Tor and so forth that allow you to get into that area. I guess one of my little pet hates is Bitcoin and the, and the likes of it simply because they are used, that stuff is used by criminals. Yeah. Because it's not traceable. It's untraceable, yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't want to be any part of it, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it's it's scary. And you see you see those. There's a, there's a, a documentary on Netflix about the kid that was selling the massive drug operation, all, all done through the dark web. He was shipping drugs all around the globe. Um, it's a pretty scary proposition. Yeah, it's very real, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Okay, so cyber criminals, I'm sure they're a dime a dozen. Do they only target large businesses? Well, that's the interesting thing. No, in a word, no. They actually are more often likely to get paid by the small business than the big business because big businesses more often got ways back and out of the, the problem. Whereas um, small business, and, and well, I had some figures the other day, at least 60% of the businesses that get hacked, small business, A, don't report it, and B, pay it, just to get their stuff back. And they don't. the criminals aren't asked for big amounts for each person. When they're attacking small business, they want a couple of thousand dollars. And, you know, that's something you can write off fairly quickly. The worst thing about it is that you don't know you're going to get your stuff back, even if you do pay it. So it's interesting. So I guess you would have to be lucky as a as a as a general member of the public to have not had one of your credit cards hacked or not had something like that hacked and had money. I remember I had about three and a half thousand dollars of flights for Tiger Air turn up on a credit card, and I'm like, shit where am I going on holidays? And there was like 15 flights and I'm like, oh God, how did this happen? So I guess when you then talk about from a corporate cyber criminal, it's information they're after. They want, they want, I guess ransomware is really that, where they want money. They're holding your stuff to ransom. Yeah, it's very interesting because um, there's some interesting statistics out there that say that um, 90% of, of PCs out there have got some sort of malware on them that's gathering information, and most people don't even know about it. And they sit there, sometimes they can be on your PC for up to 9 to 12 months, gathering information before they make the attack. So they're gathering enough information to make a targeted attack, usually through some sort of phishing email, and business email compromise is one of the largest, I guess, places that the baddies make their money from. I think it was something like $26 billion in the last 12 months. Explain that a bit. Well, business email compromises where somebody sends you an email or intercepts an email of your invoice to one of your people and changes the details of the bank account and you pay them instead of me. God, they're sneaky buggers, aren't they? Yeah, and they intercept by having that email password or they send you a, a bill... Um, to your CEO or whoever and says, get this paid now, and, and it looks so legitimate that they just organise it without checking. Fortunately, a lot of people are now getting a bit smarter and they'll if they see details like that on the email that have been changed, they'll ring. And that would be the biggest piece of advice I'd give anyone. If you see or even think that the email or the bank account's been changed, phone them. Phone the people you're paying and check. Yeah, I'm seriously skeptical all the time now yeah. about almost everything that I receive. Seriously skeptical. Like we were just going through a, a home loan refinance. Thanks, Craig Finney, Sunstar Financial, legend. But there was a text sent. He said the loan documents would be sent to us, and then there was a text sent to my wife saying that the loan docs are now online, ready for signing. And I was like, nah. Nah, no way. <laughs> nah. So I actually messaged Craig and said, would this be happening? He goes, mate, they will send them by email. There'll be an email from blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I was like panicking straight away. I go, nah, that's wrong. That's wrong. So it's, I guess I'm trained and everyone should be because I think you, 
we must see weekly phishing scams by text, by email, by phone. It's just it's so prevalent. Yeah, it is. Um, I guess the problem we come across daily: um, somebody's lost money through a scam on the phone. They've, you know, Microsoft have rung them. Sure, Microsoft don't ring anybody. Yeah. So, you know, they've taken this on board and paid this man, man to come in on their computer and he's hacked into their computer and, and all of a sudden we've got a phone go, oh, I've lost $2,000 and I need to get this cleaned up and then we have to bring it in to the workshop and sort it out. Uh, it's... I had a client the other day and we have a, a, a great piece of software called Threat Locker and um, basically prevents the installation or running of any program that isn't authorised. So anything that starts to run or tries to run, it pops up and says, you want to approve this? And we get a message. And while it's popping up checking that, it's checking also whether that particular thing is known about on the internet, if it's known about in the virus engines. I had one client who was installing this stuff and they wanted to install these two programs and it came up as listed on over 30 sites as malicious. Wow. So I saw that and I didn't approve it. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't approve it. And I rang, him and rang her up and I said, uh, I'm not going to approve this. What are you trying to do? Okay, you should be using this, this, this and this and guided her in the right direction instead of turning my head around and ignoring it, I so, guess. Well, there you go. That's, that's 24-7 monitoring, right? So... That's one of the benefits of, of employing an IT support company is that they've got your back, your insurance policy. Mm. Yeah, amazing. So you spoke a little bit before about the, the software that you use for passwords and then I guess we talk about password security as well. It's got to be one of the big things. Mm. So what was that What was that software again? Well, there's a couple, but Password Boss is the one I like. Yep. There's another one that escapes me at the moment. Um no, can't think of it. That's okay. When we think about it, we'll put it in the show notes down the bottom so you can have a look at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it has a five-pack family pack for about 80 bucks a year, so it's really good value. I just can't think of the name of it this instant. Yep. Um, That's all right. It'll come to me. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. So, so yeah, like we should all be protecting our passwords, there's no doubt, and if there's some software that can help, then why wouldn't we be paying the 80 bucks a year, like really? I think it's worth it. Especially considering we don't want to have to remember all those passwords. Well, yeah, exactly right. Especially when they they need to be more elaborate, it seems, every month. Yeah, well, this, this stuff I use can create passwords 20, 30, 40 characters long that are all gobbledygook and random and nobody's going to guess that in a zillion years. Well, <laughs> you would hope so. <laughs> you would hope so. Peek Inside the Panic Room is proudly sponsored by Straight Up Digital. If you're looking for an irreverent, no BS, results-focused digital marketing company on the Gold Coast, look for Straight Up Digital on all social platforms or at straightupdigital.com.au. So have we have we surpassed now with cybersecurity, have we surpassed the old email scam? Have we surpassed the text message scam? Is is there what's the next thing that we've got to look out for? Well, as I say, they, you must keep your not just your operating system, but you must keep your applications patched. There are occasions where the the baddies know about 
the vulnerabilities before anybody else and they're already hacking into them. The only way to monitor and protect those is uh, with network and log management, uh, monitoring, and what that does is it it monitors every single bit and byte that's going through your network and basically analyses everything in every log on every PC constantly, 24-7, and that raises flags. Um, we had a scenario where a uh, server was being attacked and was getting something like 20,000 attempts to log in every 24 hours. Wow. This software brought that to light and we were able to close the ports and remove the problem. Wow. But the, just having the knowledge or having the background stuff, uh, what we call a secure, uh, secure operations centre, that allows someone with a bit of artificial intelligence as well as humans to actually analyse what's going on and flag what's not right. I'm going to have nightmares tonight, mate. I'm going to never turn my computer on again. Well, that's the safest thing. Leave it switched off. <laughs> go, back, go back to the 1940s. Pen and paper. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Candle. Lots of babies, though. That's the problem. The interesting thing about that is if we've got these sorts of things in place to monitor, you go and turn your PC off, it gives us less chance of finding what's going on. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Good so we really need to see what's going on to be able to say, okay, well, we need to close this up or fix that or change this. Yeah. Yeah, we, well, they've made it impossible for us to not turn the computers on now. Like, it, you can't live without them. We, we, you know, we're wearing computers on our wrist. We've That's got p- computers in our pocket. Like, it's just, it's non-stop now. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. And um, I guess that's good for me. <laughs> well, this is it. There's, all, no, there's always someone that's benefiting from it. There's always, in every, in every instance. So, I'm at home. I've got, uh, actually, let's, let's stick on business just for a minute still. So, we're talking about external problems from a cybersecurity perspective. What about internal problems in the business? How, does, how does that work? It's usually people. Yeah. People, passwords. Yeah. Um, You've also got uh, the bad actor in the business that's disgruntled and wants to expose your business to um, various areas that shouldn't be, like cyber criminals, and they, they can actually install hacks and patches and um, things like USB ports uh, inevitably should be locked down in a business. Uh, if they are enabled, they should be secured devices that are known about and that prevents a lot of problems. That prevents, like, theft? Yeah. Yep. Stops. And um, management of the data and management of, uh, I guess, logging where data might be copied to is another aspect of that as well. You, you, you've got to track everything, and that's where the logs come in. They tell you everything. And if we're, th- if we're thinking, what's the percentage of businesses, would you say, are, are taking those lengths of security? It's usually the bigger boys, yeah. quite frankly. Inconvenience is the biggest problem with cyber security. It's inconvenient for me to have to put in that second factor authentication. It's inconvenient for me to change my password. It's inconvenient for me not to be able to use my USB key. All of those things lead to an easy hack for the baddies, quite yeah. frankly. So they're just praying for laziness. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, there's plenty of us out there. 
me included. Okay, so then it's obviously a scary. It's scary from a business perspective and a corporate perspective. But what about at home? So, what about my Wi-Fi network at home? How secure is that? I had a, a lady just recently who um, she had Macintosh, believe it or not, and she had people hack into her Mac and her phone, controlling her camera, changing things on the computer while she was watching. And she was freaking out. It was so frightening for her. Being a single mum, yeah. it was like, what are these guys doing? It's just, and, and, and it really drove her to the edge and it took us ages to isolate it. And We had to put in decent firewalls. We had to control every single aspect of the network. Had to measure everything that was going on to isolate where it was going. But yeah, home users get it just as bad. This lady happened to be a doctor. and so Now, uh, who's... who's Hacking a doctor's computer at home. I think there's people out there that just do it for the pleasure. I was going to say, is it, is it just people taking the piss or having a bit of fun, or the people you see on TV shows that think they're like hack masters, and or is it, or is there real sort of? There's a malicious fear that they like to generate. Yeah, they they, they want people to be frightened of them, and that to me is just evil. Yeah, it's that's just, that's mean. Yeah, it's just no point in it. And it benefits no one. But it makes them feel tough and strong and, and in control, I guess. That's what they're aiming at. So when when you buy your computer and they sell you your, your stock standard AVG or something like that, is that stuff going to cut it really? If you want serious protection, you don't. You, you, your off-the-shelf stuff isn't going to do it. Um, all of the stuff we sell and provide for all of our customers is 24-7 monitored and updated by the minute. Yeah always constantly being updated latest one we use product called sentinel one it monitors behavior so it can stop a zero day infection that is a an infection that none of the virus engines know about and it will stop it in its tracks because of the way it's behaving and they they stop it then they'll send it off to the sandbox where they'll check it and if it's malicious they'll delete it it's gone wow and that's all done through the monitoring, it's uh, all automated through humans monitoring and and detecting, and then working out what's going on and stopping it. Yeah, I guess the the further into the future we get, the more automation we we have in our homes. So, the more we rely on the internet, the more we rely on Wi-Fi. So, I guess our homes are opening us opening themselves up to to attacks now. I have a shoddy network at home, but I have a little Synology NAS that I have with some media, which has been, you know, acquired the right way. And I use that to stream around my house. Now, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have similar setups. Should I be worried about that? Well, what's on it that you couldn't get again? Oh, nothing. So, yeah. There's a, there's a, what what value is that resource to you, and the inconvenience of not having it, and that's how you value what you would spend okay. to protect it. Yeah, fair enough. It's a it's a matter of perspective. I guess nobody likes the thought of somebody hacking in and looking at their stuff and looking at their private information. There's ways, mostly to protect what's coming or what can come in. 
you need decent firewalls, and we're not talking the hundred dollar router. We're talking fifteen hundred dollar router. Um, yeah, firewall. And, uh, these things do protect. Like one we put in recently, it it actually isolates every wireless device from every other wireless device. So nothing can talk to each other on that network. So if the hack did get into one, it can't get into the others. Wow. So it's pretty clever stuff. Yeah. So again, this is all stuff that you you really can't buy at Harvey Norman, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. So is this custom-made stuff or? No, but it is um, made by people that are very high-end in the market. Meraki is a Cisco product. That's one of the best ones out there. It detects intrusion. It detects everything that's going on on the network. And Sophos make another one, which is exactly the same type of scenario. And it can get to the point where it'll lock down the sort of information that you can get to on the internet. Uh, it might want to lock out porn sites or any sort of, I guess, uh, violent sites. You might want to lock those out. You can you can lock down any sort of category or any sort of um, malicious sites. One I found the other day, a lady had... That download. There's a download program where you can download pirated stuff. Oh yeah, like a uTorrent thing or yeah, uTorrent. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> when I ran the Sentinel one over it, it flagged it and deleted it. <laughs> it's gone. This is bad. It says no, you can't do that. It's well, it's because that's open source, I guess. It's just a direct a pipe in from. Well, not to only internal. that, a lot of uh, people put files with the files that you're downloading that can infect. That's why it's mostly bad. Mate, I would never have thought that pirated stuff downloaded from the internet could be bad for (laughs) for your computer. Why would you say that? Uh, Well, (laughs) only from experience. (laughs) Yeah, I think we've all, in the early days, definitely, we've all been bitten by something, I reckon. Probably didn't even know it. Well, this is it. That's the scary thing, isn't it? That, that that blows me away that you said before that something could be sitting there for nine to twelve months, just gathering information before something happens. It's it's actually a really frightening subject. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite high in the statistics. It's yeah. very frightening. Yeah, yeah. So just talking more about so we've we've spoken quite a bit about business, but just from a home perspective, obviously the the internet service here in Australia isn't one of the best. You know, it's quite low on terms of uh, reliability and, and speed globally. Is is there something you can, is there a router or is there a modem or something that you can get to make the service better? Or are we solely relying on what you're getting from the street? In a nutshell, yes. You, you're kind of stuck with what the pipe is coming yeah. in and how it's shared. So, for example, if you've got an NBN connection in the street, it's usually shared with a minimum of 32 other people. Some providers like Telstra will make that a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think you've got this amount of bandwidth or this size pipe shared with more people, then everybody gets a smaller share. Yeah. I've found some good suppliers that provide really high-quality pipe that you will get every bit of bandwidth that you have paid for. But when you're talking retail versus business grade, there's where the difference is. Yeah. Of course, you're going to pay more. Yeah, of course. But for home, what do you need? Is it working? How fast does it really need to be? Yeah. What did we have in the past? A lot less than what we've got now. 
Yeah. And we survived on that. I mean, when I started out, we had 28k modems. Yeah. And we were sharing that with 10 people. Yeah. <laughs> Not megabits, 28 kilobits. We've come so far, like in such a short amount of time, really, with the internet. Yeah. yeah. We really have. I think people lose sight of that. I think that who knows where we'll be in another five or 10 years, maybe where we are now. But like when you think that we had dial up modems only. 25 years ago, mm. still got that sound. It still still rings in my ears having to dial up. Mm. I can't imagine what it'll be like for you. But In 1991, we had that, a 28K modem yeah. on a router that was shared with 10 staff. Yeah. God, how did you get anything done? <laughs> well, we didn't rely on the internet, that's for sure. Well, this is it. It was fax machines. <laughs> well, fax machines. PAVX systems. And paper. Yeah. Yeah. Pound and paper. Handle with fax machines. They're so good. They're gone. Yeah, they're gone, aren't they? Yeah. Actually, my wife said the other day, she said, do I have a fax machine at work? And I said, it's not 1986, darling. <laughs> like a fax machine? It's interesting. Some business types do require that fax copy still, um, which is somewhat unusual, but, I mean, it's still out there. And uh, now most faxes are electronic anyway. It's a... Uh, not even a machine anymore. It comes through as an email. It's a fax to email scenario. Oh, really? Yeah. God, I, I seriously have not thought about fax for 10 years. Mm. I'd say at least 10 years. I've not, I wouldn't have even considered faxing. We've still got a fax number, but it's connected into my PBX and it comes through as a, a PDF. Wow. <laughs> and But I don't get any faxes. No. <laughs> Nobody I know uses them. No. Don't need them. No, because I remember that. I think the the last time my dad was big on the fax. He loved a fax. My dad, he was. He, whenever you get the printer, it had to be the multifunction that had the fax for the three faxes that he'd send a year. <laughs> now that he couldn't go to the post office and stand through because the government would be watching him. Well, the biggest drama you've got now is you haven't got copper PSDN lines, so all of the fax machines have to be have uh, an ATA device to talk it to, to turn it into VoIP. So they've killed. They've killed. They've killed it. They've killed the fax machine. Basically, VoIP killed the fax machine. It's like video killed the radio star. That's yeah. it. VoIP killed the fax machine. So, if you were going to give three of your best tips for businesses from an IT perspective, and I'm not talking just about cyber security, but just new business, they're starting off. They're thinking, shit. What am I going to do for my IT? Everyone thinks they can do it themselves. What's What's your three top tips? And I'm sure number one would be engage in an IT support company. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've been doing it for 38 years. <laughs> wow. I've been doing it for 38 years. And I guess I've got a fair idea what's good and what's not. In essence, look at your backups. Look at what you're buying and make sure it's not just cheap, somebody moving stuff on. By all means, give us a call. We'll soon tell you if it's not worth buying or what to look out for. Get some security in place. Get some backup in place. Don't be frightened of the cloud. Um, it can save a lot of anguish if it's got a copy there. And So the cloud is good? Yeah. It, the good thing about the cloud is it keeps versions. So if something does get in there and change a, a file, you can go back a version. Right. So it's it's... Kind of cool like that. But we, we don't rely just on Microsoft either or um, Google. 
to keep our data safe. We back it up to another provider in the cloud. So you've got more than one copy. A good, good backup scenario is three copies. Oh, okay. And we've had scenarios where I've been very, very glad we had three copies because the third one was the one that worked. <laughs> and the other two failed to restore from. So it was very... It's, it's significant to the point. And other things that you don't see or realise that happen in the background are things like, oh, that file went missing six months ago. Well, Microsoft keeps stuff for 30 days. So you've got no chance of getting it back unless you've got to back up somewhere else. Something just sprung to mind there. We were talking before we went live about you'd just been to a client that was a hotel and it was a shit fight. It was like spaghetti. The cables were everywhere. Nothing was marked. They had pokies. They had POS machines. They had everything, right? All going all around the place. And you had to find what the problem was. Yeah, they had one of the bars that wasn't able to communicate with their POS system, which lives in the cloud. And it turned out to be uh, a cable problem, a physical cable problem. Now, those cables have been there for 20 years. Potentially, it might have even been just uh, a bad connector problem that once we reseeded it was okay. Um, so, you know, you just because there was no network diagram, there was no idea of what was connected where, you just had to try and yeah. trace cables through the walls and through the back end underneath the bar, which was full of gunk. And, I mean, <laughs> and then after that event, we went for a walk around to see exactly where what was and how it was all connected and there was no way of telling. There were five wiring cabinets full of different devices and cables and you couldn't tell what was connected where because nothing was labelled. There was no network diagram. It had just been built hodgepodge and nobody really bothered. So a good tip for someone starting is have a good network diagram with labelled cables. It'd be a really good start. Good start. Well, given that this, this mob had like 40, 50, 60 different devices on that network, wow. you really do need to know what's connected where to be able to isolate. Other than that, you pay more for the time it's spent trying to find it. Yeah. So It's always good to spend the money up front, I say. <laughs> better. Much better. <laughs> So that that's interesting. So it's got that many devices. So when we talk about you talked about business internet, what sort of what sort of pipe are they looking at into a place like that? What sort of what's you know it, it blows me away because I know we talk. I keep going back to home and I actually talk about here in Burley like the this this internet's rubbish. It really is not good. But like what they must these businesses must have powerful internet systems to be able to run their business. One of the hotels we deal with has. Um a gigabit connection into the hotel, and that's shared amongst all the units. So each unit gets a significant performance, probably 80 megabytes. Yeah. But they they have a, a, a fibre link coming in which supports a gigabit, but that can go to 10, 20, 30, 40 gigabits. So lots of amount of, um, I guess, bandwidth that can be shared, and that's where fibre comes to its own. When you're talking about home, you've probably got fibre to the node, which means you've got copper between the node and your place. So you're limited to 100 megabit anyway. Yeah. Potentially. Not always. Always, yeah, not always. It just depends. Like this one client I've got that's a little bit too far from the exchange and he'd be lucky to get 25 megabit on NBM. 
I, when I first moved into my house at Eleonora, I was getting three megabit. Yep. Because I was five Ks from the exchange. Yeah. And I had to endure that for like two years before they, before MBN came in. And whereas everyone was spewing about the MBN, I was like, bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. Because I don't care if I'm getting 12, it's three times faster than what I'm getting at the moment. Yeah. And you're probably paying the same. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, probably. probably. I didn't have a very nice experience with uh, MBN um, satellite. I found that was uh, latency was too high. It was too slow. It was so variable. I don't know how this new uh, Elon Musk um, thing is going to go. One of my neighbours is putting in, so he seems to be quite happy with it. He's it's getting pretty good reviews, I think. I think it's getting pretty good raps. Yeah, he he was only getting up to 300 megabit at certain times a day, which is... I'll take that. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, but you have to buy all your satellite gear up front, so... Yeah, it's about a $1,500 upfront fee, I think. It's yeah. $139 a month, Yeah, something like that. It's not cheap. But because my, my mum lives out in between Ipswich and Boona and they've got terrible internet and they've got, they've got satellite internet through SkyMesh and it's shocking. It is. And it's, it's really, really bad. It, they'll get four, four meg. Yeah, that's what I was it's talking It's just about. terrible. So we're really looking at investigating this Musk proposal and I said to mum, well, and they're paying. They're paying about $99 a month. For seventy five gig a month, yeah, at four meg mm. speed, it's like seriously, and you can pay one thirty nine for. It's got to be. It's got to be faster than four meg. It'd have to be, and it's unlimited. Yeah, I um had the Sky Machine at home. Yeah, and I ended up uh, getting a four G modem and putting that in, and getting ten times the speed, and I pay. Hundred and fifteen dollars a month, and this is through Telstra, believe it or not, and I get one hundred and eighty gigs. Yeah, so it's a no-brainer to me. Yeah, no, well, that's that's just smart business, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, and and it works. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the guts of it, I guess. Yeah, well, that sky mesh is rubbish. It, it's really bad. Yeah, I haven't uh, had much success with it. Um, I don't, um, I don't like the wireless uh, as a general rule, but. Um, with the Elon Musk stuff, I think um, it's probably got a good potential of being a good solution for those that can't get decent connection. Well, I know that a mate of mine's got quite a few mates in Jindabyne and, and they, they've they all got it and they rave about it. They yeah, think it's the cool. best thing. So it's get, I think it's going to get some – I think it'll be quite good. Look, he doesn't do anything really half-assed, let's be honest. No. <laughs> you know, it's, I, the, it's the internet that's going to send us to Mars, mate. I wonder what else the satellites are being used for. Oh, conspiracy. <laughs> conspiracy. That I tell you what, now, what you've just done there is you've just got yourself another invite to the panic room. We'll just have a conspiracy episode. I'll bring my wife. <laughs> How good's a good conspiracy, though? Oh, love it. <laughs> love it. That out there. Yeah. God, I love it. I'm a big JFK guy. Yeah. Love the JFK conspiracy. Yeah. Well, mate, it blows me away that for something that we use every day with a computer and with the internet, that still so many people are getting screwed over by it every day. Mm. So many businesses are being hacked. So many businesses are going broke. So many, so many lives are being destroyed because we're just not making the right choices when it comes to, I guess, to network security. ASIC put out a thing the other day that over 2 
billion was lost to scams in Australia in the last 12 months. Over 570,000 reports. Now, that's just what was reported. Yeah. How many people went, oh, I don't want to admit to that. <laughs> I really believed it was a Kenyan orphanage. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really scary. It really is. I keep going back to that word scary, but it's there's no other word to describe it. I think you just you just got to be vigilant. And you've just got to take what steps you know you can. You know, do something, don't do nothing. Try yeah. to get yourself protected. Minimise the potential of being hacked. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking 40, 50 bucks a month just to do that sort of thing. In the scheme of things, what's the loss of your identity worth? Yeah, well, what's, you're right. What's the loss of your business worth? Yeah. That income-producing that you support your family with what's it worth Neil it's been fun it's been not, it's, I've learned a lot today and a lot more than I have from our other discussions that we've had we've gone a little bit deeper today and I'm looking forward and mate I'm not bullshitting you're back for a conspiracy episode <laughs> on Peek Inside the Panic Room I oh, know yeah but look guys if, you, if you're looking for a quality IT solution or IT help support or even just to get some advice, which I'm sure you get charged for. No, he's shaking his head. Free advice. Neil's big on free advice. Give us a game. The, the, this is it. NetLogics are, I can vouch. Neil's a great guy. He's been in the industry a long time. He knows what he's talking about. So he can help you with anything that you need. And they're, they're located in Corumban. They've got a little warehouse there that you can go and see them. Or, or you can give them a call and we'll have some details in, in the show notes. Neil, I know you really want to say NetLogics can help. So, mate, have you got anything else you want to leave us with? Well, there's a couple of things. We help business with the performance and security of their IT systems. In the end, we take the SH out of their IT. There it is. <laughs> there it is. NetLogics will most certainly take the SH out of your IT, and Neil is happy to help. So, mate, thank you so much for your time. I've appreciated it. And uh, if you want to get in touch with Neil from NetLogics... You can see all the details in the uh, notes below in the on the podcast link. Thank you very much. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate it, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Peek Inside the Panic Room. If you want to hear more of the chaos, make sure you follow us to stay up to date. Don't forget to give us a five-star review and check out our socials at Straight Up Digital. <laughs>